I decided that I was going to join the military as an Apache helicopter mechanic and then uh, not making anything to winning the McAfee Telesales Cup Award. You have to continue and improve and better yourself. It's not just what you know, it's actually doing it and putting it into practice. Powerful. Yeah. Powerful. Who says tech can't be human? What's going on, Hacker Valley fam? Welcome back to the show. With me today, I have someone in person in a studio. It feels good to be back in person. My guest today is Andrew Forge, Regional Sales Manager at Armis. Andrew, thank you so much for taking some time out and joining the podcast. Yeah, awesome, Ron. I'm excited to be here. Thank you guys for, for having me out. Looking forward to the discussion. Yes. One of our best performing videos was mm -hmm. on cybersecurity sales. Yep. To me, it's a black box. Mm -hmm. Even selling is a black box. There's a lot of content and books mm -hmm. out there that talk about sales philosophy, but when you get out there, you make start making phone calls, you start mm -hmm. doing emails, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. Yeah. What was your journey into cybersecurity sales? I was in my first year at the University of Louisville. I liked discipline, right? I wasn't really focused on my, my schooling and my, my education, the academics. So after a pretty rough first year, I decided that I was going to join the military to be in the reserves as an Apache helicopter mechanic. And then I ended up getting a job at Manpower here in, in Dallas, Fort Worth area. And I was a dispatch operator for Network Associates. So for any of us that have been around for a while, Network Associates was made up of McAfee Security, mm. PGP, uh, Magic Help Desk and Gauntlet Firewalls. Um, so at the time, it was really you could go anywhere. I, I was focused on my studies. I thought maybe I would go and like make video games or or do something. I'm trying to use the GI Bill going to Brookhaven College. Um, but as I got involved, I worked on the McAfee side of the house doing corporate customer service. Uh, that's when like the I Love Yous, the Nimdas, the Code Reds were coming out. It was kind of the golden year for anybody at McAfee back in the day because companies needed to purchase some type of malware protection, right? Mm -hmm. And so they would call McAfee up. You weren't outbound. You were getting calls in, right, for people who needed to protect against these new mass mailing worms. Um, and I happened to be in corporate customer service. I had an opportunity to go over into inside sales. And I can tell you, I, I bombed. I bombed my first six months. It was very difficult. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. When, when you're in corporate customer service, people are calling you and they want to help and you have a desire to help them. You want them to have a good experience. Uh, it's a much different scenario when everybody's already has something in place today and now you're you're calling outbound. Right. And you're disrupting people um, in their day and, and what they've got going on. So there is a lot of things that I had to learn as a, as a new account manager, a new sales rep. Uh, and so I remember... It seemed like, doesn't it seem like when everything bad is happening at, at once, it just keeps going. So <laughs> I didn't really have any money. I'm, I'm young, I'm engaged. I, uh, I go outside and I've got this old beat up Mercury Cougar. I decided uh, not to get all the hail damage fixed so I could pay some bills and, uh, and I had a flat tire. And so uh, I put fix a flat in there, which this person at Sears told me, hey, never put fix a flat in this. It ruins the tire. Now you need to buy a new one. I don't even know if I have money on the credit card to pay for it. 
And I remember walking over to the, the mall and there's a Barnes and Noble in there and I'm going in and I see, so like, maybe I'll get a self-help book. Maybe I'll get something that's gonna help me in, in selling. And I saw all the books, right? The Swimming with the Sharks and the Zebras and Master the Art of Sales. And then as I'm scanning it and I'm going down, I see that big yellow book and it says Selling for Dummies. Mm. And, uh, and man, I, fe I felt like a dummy. And it was by this guy, Tom Hopkins. Um, and then that's really where I understood and, and somebody actually taught me the right way to do sales, right? That uh, you're not the one with liability. It's nothing personal. Everything is a no thank you. Different ways of measuring success as you're working to build and get to your number. Uh, and I saw an immediate transformation from that. I saw myself from going to uh, not making anything and being stressed out to winning the McAfee Telesales Cup Award to getting recognition throughout the company. And it was just by applying a lot of the, the fundamentals. Um, and I just happened to be in a corporate customer service for a cybersecurity company that gave me the opportunity to go and, and try out inside sales. Powerful. Yeah. Powerful. I yep. was not expecting that story. I love it. I love it. I want to know what's in this yellow book. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe jog your memory. Uh, give us some insights. What are the top one to two fundamental pieces that you picked up from that book all those years ago? Yeah, so I, I'd say the first off is just your your attitude, right? Mm -hmm. Not taking things personally. A lot of people feel that uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't do sales. I couldn't sell someone. I couldn't convince them. Well, dude, selling sucks. And what I mean by that is if you're trying to talk somebody into something that they don't need or they're not comfortable in making a decision, like that's never gonna be fun. Right. Um, my feeling is that I wanna create the buying environment. Right. I want to create scenarios where uh, I can help educate the potential buyer, whether they're the technical decision maker, if they're a user, if they're the economic decision maker. Uh, I want to put them in a position where they can make an informed decision. I always give the other person the benefit of the doubt that you are smart. You can make informed decisions, mm -hmm. but you just might not have all the relative information to make that decision. And so I, I found that when I do those things, when I don't think things personally, when I create the buying environment. Um, the other thing that I learned from the, the selling for dummies, and I think that this is, it's not just about sales, but it's about life, is it teaches you how to create a, a vision for your life. So mm. you go through this exercise and you know you figure I'm 19, 20 years at the time, and it's like, hey, visualize yourself 20 years from now and what does life look like? And you start to look at, not how am I gonna get there, but you know, where do I live? Am I married? Do I have a family? Do yep. I have a house? Is it a nice house? What's nice about the house? Do I drive a car? Is it a nice car? What countries have I visited? What skills have I developed? Like if, if you could just wake up tomorrow and it's 20 years from now, what would be those things? And it teaches you to do that. And then it says, okay, based on some of that stuff, some of that stuff's gonna be available to you in 10 years. So what do you think some of those things are? And you're gonna mention, hey man, I probably, not my dream home, but at least I'm a starter home. I might not have a full family, but I think I'll be married. Mm -hmm. And so you're filling that out. And then it goes from 10 years to five years, to three years, to one year, to six months, to three months, to 30 days. Mm. And I think for all of us, when we have a vision for what we want life to look like uh, and we break it down, um, we don't have to stress out about how it's gonna happen. Uh, I think we just need to be a good match for that vision and who we wanna be. Um, it's easy, isn't it? It's easy to be happy and lighthearted and outgoing and funny and optimistic when everything's going your way. 
reality is that that thing isn't always going to happen for you and it's yep. not always going to be your fault. And so in those moments, we have to decide who am I going to choose to be? Am I going to be negative and abrasive and upset and regretful and, or am I going to choose in this moment? The only moment with really it's, I'm making the choice. Yeah. Who am I going to choose right to now? Be? That's right. That's right. So I, I choose to, to be those things. And, uh, and I learned that, and I can tell you that, that those two things together, not taking anything personal, right? Creating the buying environment and then having a vision for your life is a very, very um, powerful combination. I think whether you're in sales or in any other profession. Have you ever read the book, The Four Agreements? Um, the, the one for yourself with, is it Tao that does it? Yeah. It's this gentleman named Don Miguel Ruiz. Uh, He's got a whole series. How you talk to yourself, how you treat yourself, the four agreements on how it's... Yeah, mastery of love, mm -hmm. your path to personal freedom. Yeah. It seems like that's kind of what you're speaking about. Oh, um, yeah. For anyone that hasn't read the four agreements or wants to check it out, I'll give you a quick uh, rundown as to what those four agreements yep. are. The first one is be impeccable with your word. Yeah. You you don't want to lie. You want to you want to have integrity with what that's you right. do. And that's kind of what you're describing as well. Is yep. like, hey, I can't take... I can't take this personally, yeah. which is actually agreement number two. Don't yeah. take things personally. Yeah. Um, agreement number three, don't make assumptions. If yeah. you make assumptions, that means you're personalizing it in some way because yeah. you're assuming your information is correct or your intuition is correct, but it's yeah. just information. It's yeah. just data points and yeah. you choose how you want to feel. And then That's the right. last agreement is always do your best. Yeah. And with where you're at now, it kind of mm -hmm. sounds like you followed these four agreements, but especially mm -hmm. the, the one that you were speaking about, don't take things personally. Mm -hmm. Look at yourself with a vision. Looking back 20 years ago, would you see the person that you are today? Would, would the younger version of you be like, that's me? That's exactly what I was hoping to do, or at least something similar? Um, yeah, I would even say that I'm, it, it was hard to tell that I would be this person, right? Yep. Uh, and I'm by no stretch of the imagination perfect, right? Uh, it's not just what you know, it's actually doing it and putting it into practice. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually going through a whole 28 day thing at the start of January that is around gratitude and exercise and water and prayer and vitamins and meditation. Mm. Um, boy, you do that for 28 days, I'm on day, what, 17 right now? Life is really, really good. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's easy for everyone to say, well, don't think negative when negative things happen. Um, look, you're not in their head. Yep. Right. You don't know all the insecurities. You don't know if they felt like they made a bad decision and how they're replaying that. Um, so I, I think it's good that you have tools and resources and things that you know to go and use. So just um, and and through this 28 day gratitude practice, it's something I have. But to kind of get back on to. Uh, to the point there is uh, I'm very pleased with how how life's turned out. I've uh, I've got an amazing wife at home. I've got a son at the University of Arkansas. I've got a great family. Um, I've got an exciting and rewarding career that I'm mm -hmm. in. Uh, and I think I have the right attitude, right? Yeah. Um, to, to determine my own happiness and I'm going to live life. You definitely have the right energy if, mm -hmm. for selling. If you were to sell something to me, I'd be very comfortable, very relaxed. I would mm -hmm. feel like you have my back through this process and this mm -hmm. journey. When I was practicing cybersecurity as an architect, yeah. 
I, I, I always use the same salespeople. Yeah. I'm sure that that's probably been the case for you. I'm not sure how yeah. many jobs you've had over the course mm -hmm. of your career, but I see that a lot with people in the field of cybersecurity and in the sales industry that yeah. when they leave company A and go to company B, yeah. they, they have a lot of their portfolio that come along with them because they believe in their ideas. If you believe in this company, then I at least want to give them a demo and check them out. Yeah, yeah, you bring up such a great point. So this is, Armis is my first venture into the, the cybersecurity startup, right? Mm. So they were founded in 2015, came out of stealth in 2017. I joined March of 2020. Um, <laughs> now I'll put that into perspective. Prior to coming to Armis, I was with FireEye Mandiant for six and a half years. Prior to that, I was with WebSense, now ForcePoint for about eight years. So mm. um, I've always had longevity at companies. My wife was the first one that taught me. She said, Andrew, the, the grass is always greener where you water it, right? And it's oh, always yeah. good to look at where you're at today and be appreciative of those things. Don't emotionally stay, right? If it's time to grow and move on, then you need to do that. And what I learned about in the cybersecurity, to, to get back to your point about people working with people that they know and they trust and they like, they like to be around, uh, is when I came into the cybersecurity startup world, I, I had success. Uh, the companies that worked with me when I was at WebSense, the companies that worked with me at FireEye, and I should say more some, the, the people. I'm a big believer companies come and go, people take care of people. Mm -hmm. So those relationships, they were at least willing to hear what it was that we were doing and if it's something that we could potentially help them solve for. Um, I've seen a lot of people who uh, maybe we're at a more prestigious or more well-known cybersecurity company. Look, we could say a, a Palo, a Tanium, even people that came over at the same time I did from, from FireEye Mandiant, and they didn't make it. Mm. Um, and, and you find out why, right? Like when you're at a Mandiant, people are going to accept your call. You're on the front lines of incident response. Yep. It's such an amazing opportunity to go work for an organization like that, um, but don't take that for granted. Don't take those relationships for granted. You have to continue and prove and better yourself. Um, and I would say that anybody who's in cybersecurity today, or if you're trying to get into cybersecurity, there's some things I, I know for a fact that will help you that uh, I was fortunate. I had some mentors and people who taught me this. Um, most cybersecurity sales reps today, if you ask them, so how does security work? How does cybersecurity work? <laughs> they'd have a very difficult time in, in trying to explain that to you. They would call their sales engineer. Yeah, and even <laughs> even even the sales engineers, if you ask the sales engineer, hey, can you, can you help explain this to me? Can you help me what communicates risk? It's a different conversation. You yeah. Know? Um, so I can tell you, I, I went from McAfee, I was doing inside sales. I had a lot of success on doing the inside, on the fundamentals, and just making sure that uh, I had the best follow-up. I was out hustling everyone else. I knew our product. I knew our competitor's product. But most account managers that work at the vendors become kind of security technologists, right? They have some technical ability, mm -hmm. um, but nobody really ever helps them understand how security works. Uh, security is a discipline. We're not putting a blinking box in the data center. It's not this agent that I installed. Yep. Um, it's based off of protection, detection, and response, right? We have protective controls, whether they're firewalls or endpoint agents, things that are there to reduce the attack surface. We still need to conduct business, so there's ways that data and information and resources are gonna flow in and out of that environment. 
I need detective controls in there to identify things that could be at uh, a potential risk to the business. Uh, and then I need an appropriate response. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those technology sales reps, you also understand it's not just technical controls, there's administrative controls. There's physical controls. And so if we talk about a specific asset, we want to understand what are the physical, technical, and administrative controls that help me protect, detect, and respond yep. when this asset's at risk. Um, for anybody that's on the partner side of the house, for anybody who's new to cybersecurity, it's your first cybersecurity gig, your practitioner, you're walking into your new company, ask yourself three questions. Ask your CISO these questions. The first question is the most simplest thing. Number one, what are we trying to protect? What information, systems, applications, processes does this business rely on that if it was lost, stolen, compromised, unavailable, would have a significant impact on our business? I'm basically just asking what are your assets? But we're breaking that very important question into buckets where we can start to understand what those are. You know what is interesting about what you just said is you're still coming at it from a salesperson perspective. Mm -hmm. A lot of cybersecurity practitioners don't have the salesperson perspective where they're not selling a product. They're Mm -hmm. they're just trying to use their their knowledge and information and apply it towards an organization. But I think that that's a really strong mindset that cybersecurity practitioners should have is Mm -hmm. how do I sell to my company? Like on in a way, the person that works at the at the company doing enterprise security Mm -hmm. is a sales engineer. They or they they're a channel partner. Yeah. They're the one working with several vendors, bringing them in Mm -hmm. and making sure that their controls are optimized for their environment. Yeah. Yeah. Well and, and so we have those, right? We have different responsibilities to the organization to the program it's a team right like um sure sometimes the running back turns into the wide receiver right but the wide receiver never turns into like a offensive tackle or something like that like we all have a role so you've got your security engineers you've got your analysts you've got your threat intel people you've got managers you've got a vision and a strategy that you're trying to execute towards and sometimes like i've i've learned through my experience when i say what are we trying to protect here's a freebie for you uh, it's not the best idea to sit down with the security engineer at an organization and ask him what he's trying to protect. Yeah. Hey, bro, I just want to make sure that your, your product doesn't bring down the network or that this is easy. It's not, you know, it, it integrates with what we have today. It's not cumbersome. It works. It doesn't break. Like, you have to be relative to the people that you're, you're meeting with and meet them with where they're at and what they yep. care about. It doesn't hurt to take on some of your own technical learning. Uh, it doesn't hurt to sit down with your engineer and get comfortable with doing whiteboard. Um, the more confidence that you have, uh, the more effective you're going to be in those those meetings. So understanding the terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what are you going to offer back? That's always a big thing for me. Um, one of the things that I have conversations with, whether I'm training partners or I'm meeting with clients, uh, I, like, I like doing education, man. And so... Um, every year, Mandy and I bring them up, not just because I work there, but one of the things that I observed when I was at, at Mandiant was that nobody ever called us in when they were five minutes behind the breach, five hours, five days. It was always weeks, months, and years. Whatever traditional tech you had, whatever next-gen fill-in-the-blank you had, somehow this adversary had bypassed it. They got around yep. it. They were inside of the environment, living off of the land. They carried out operations. You had a bad day. 
and you really feel for those victim environments and everybody who has an opinion or judges them um, like look you you're not there right and we all have similar challenges that that companies experience um, but every year Mandiant releases what's called an M trends report it usually comes out in the April or May time frame a lot of great lessons that you can learn out of there they'll tell you about what the new trends are from which industries are getting targeted is healthcare getting targeted more is it be manufacturing is it the business sector mm-hmm. Uh, they'll tell you about the new threat groups. They'll tell you about, you know, the tactics, the procedures, the top malware. But the one that I find to be most useful is looking at how the attacker got initial access into the environment. Um, so, Ron, I'll, I'll ask you, what do you think the number one way is? And it happened in 2021, 2022. We'll see if it's still number one for 2023. But what do you think the number one way is that they got in? I'm a little biased. Okay. Uh, I feel like I have insider information. Okay. Um, but I would say it's misconfigurations. Okay. So you have misconfigurations, which is fine. Um, so misconfigurations is on the list. I need to think about where it fits in. It's not in the top four. I'll tell you that. What's uh, number one? What else? Uh, well, <laughs> so most people think phishing. Of course, yeah. Phishing was number four. I think we can kind of agree. Probably. Um, AI has helped increase the likelihood that somebody believes in it. My Gmail is broken now. I I have no personal email anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So so number one, a exploit vulnerability, right? They exploited Mm -hmm. a vulnerability. So we have we have one of two problems going on. You might have both of them. Either you didn't even know the vulnerability existed because you don't really understand your entire attack surface. Yep. Right. You don't have great visibility, and even if you do have visibility, you don't have great context right, to understand exactly what is that thing and what's vulnerable about it. The other situation is that you have such a backlog of vulnerabilities and you don't have an effective process, you're not doing effective prioritization and remediation and tracking, that the attacker was able to find it, exploit it, move off of it, move to something else, Mm -hmm. uh, and then carry out operations before you could even get to it. What was interesting is number four uh, was a prior compromise. So when I was at an IR company, when I was at Mandiant, we would have what's called D-Day. So Mandiant mm-hmm. was called in, they've got their arms around everything, they've done the sweeps, they figured out which systems were compromised, they figured out what accounts were compromised, and then that's when I would come in as the account manager, right? Because we would want to have the conversation, hey, we're going to push out on the 15th, we're going to stay until the end of the month, we're expensive. And the reason why we would stay two weeks is because generally what we would see is that there would be a surge to get back in, right? Because you're not whack a moling Right, you've got all of them at once, and you push them out of the environment. Um, and so, sometimes there would be no noise. Mm-hmm. There wouldn't be anything, and the assumption would be they probably carried out the mission. They moved on. Um, but now, when you go back and you look at the M trends reports, and you see things around prior compromise, and if you look at even what they're forecasting for next year, all of those IoT devices that are inside your environment, before kind of the concern was that they were going to use them as part of this bot network denial service like the Mariah bot network, I think is what it's called from 2016. Now what adversaries are doing, they're using them as sleeper bots. So I'm going to go ahead and make sure that I compromise a couple of these. They're going to go to sleep. Nobody's going to throw an agent on me. Nobody's scanning me. And then I'm going to carry out operations. And if you do find me and you do push me out of the environment, I'll hang out for a week. Then I'm going to start back over. So again, I think that there's a lot of things that um, 
uh, are even more important that we're doing these days, considering that uh, our environments are expanding. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have good controls today for most people uh, to be able to assess these unagentable devices, um, you know, to make sure that uh, they're not leaving us exposed. Yeah, there, there's a lot. I feel like everything is changing in a good way. Yep. Sometimes it feels like we're moving backwards in ways, but I think it's only because technology is growing, opportunity is growing. Uh, for anyone that is listening right now mm -hmm. that is on the engineering side or that's trying to break into cybersecurity sales, yep. what would be your one piece of advice for them? Yeah, so I would say you, you got to meet the cybersecurity community where they're at, right? If you were trying to get into... Um, you know, the, the film industry, it might be good to go to places where they actually do it, like get into Hollywood. You're going to run into some people. Um, look, you can get involved in like the ISSA. Um, what can, about on the sales side? So on the sales side, I would say that one, um, if you have the drive and desire, you have a couple of different options. You can go and, and look for the partners that are doing cybersecurity sales, really broaden your knowledge. Um, there's enough people in cybersecurity sales that if you ask around, do you know anybody in cybersecurity sales? We're all willing willing to help. Um, the other recommendation that I would have for anybody is um, if you're trying to break into that, that industry, know something about the industry, know who's out there, what they do. If you could work anywhere, like who's the top one or two that you would go work for? Mm -hmm. Don't wait around, get your stuff together, put it together, reach out, find out who those, those people are. Ask around, find the people that are trying to, to do it. Um, look, find me, find me on LinkedIn. I am always willing to help people who are willing to help themselves. Yep. Um, so if, if that's you and you have that drive and desire and you're looking for a good mentor, um, I promise you, if you reach out to me and you have this interest, I'm, I'm willing to spend the time to give you some advice, who to talk to, um, you know, and, and we can talk about a strategy to help you get into this space powerful that's yep. very kind of you as well to invite our audience to to reach out and i would highly encourage anyone to reach out to you and learn more about you not only is uh andrew a guest on the show right now but he's also going to be a sponsor for our event coming up february 8th mm -hmm. at the sandman hotel we're actually doing a little bit of a content day mm -hmm. with bringing together uh, cybersecurity vendors and cybersecurity leaders all under one roof if you don't know Andrew, you got to get to know him. Be sure to check out his link to his social in the description or show notes wherever you're listening or watching. Also, be sure to check out Armis. Mm -hmm. Give them a follow. And with that, we will see everyone next time.